You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. This episode is called The Truth and Other Worldviews. You see, the Bible defines truth, and from the Bible we learn why it matters. The belief of various religions is contrasted with God's ideas found in the Bible. Truth and other worldviews. Just thinking about the title for a minute implies certain things, um, some of which is that not all things are true, not all views are true. And it also implies that truth stands out in contrast or comparison to other worldviews. Um, I find this topic of truth so important, and I know that we've covered this uh, topic last year. I think um, James McCann did Is There Truth in a Postmodern World? I think uh, other Steve's done some talks on it as well. Um, so I'd urge you, if you haven't looked at those, to go and look at those on YouTube under the Riverwood Christadelphians. Um, what I'm going to do tonight is maybe tackle the concept of truth a little bit differently. We're not going to be delving into specifics about what is, is the truth in particular, but we're looking at a conceptual overview of the concept of truth because I think today um, that word and that concept is being watered down um, and then we're going to look at some other worldviews and we're going to do some comparisons which I hope you'll find very interesting and give you lots to talk about um, on the way home of course anyone listening to this topic tonight I want to encourage you to um, test the claims of tonight and carry out your own research. By all means, come and chat to us afterwards or um, contact the Riverwood Christadelphians. Well, first of all, what is truth? And the normal uh, dictionary definition is truth is the quality or state of being true, but more specifically, that which is in accordance with reality. And from a Christian world uh, view or perspective, truth, we believe, finds, finds its grounding in God. Now, I'm going to make an assumption this evening, and that is that truth is something you want me to tell you. You're not sitting there thinking, I really hope John tells me some you know, false facts and a whole bunch of lies tonight. And if I've assumed correctly, that means, at least to you, truth matters. However, it's been said of truth that truth is stranger than fiction. Strange. G.K. Chesterton told us why. It is because we have made fiction to suit ourselves. Truth doesn't often fit what we want to believe does it? And 
as, we've, as we can see, modern day techniques have, have enhanced our ability to mass produce lies and false claims. Think of all the scams and the false propaganda that's out there today. And often what we find when we're searching for truth is that truth is mixed with a whole bunch of lies or half-truths and we have to wade through all these, these lies or half-truths to find the truth. And we'll see that with some of the worldviews tonight. You'll, you'll hear something and think, oh, you know, I can, that sounds true, but then it's mixed with a whole bunch of, of lies or, or half-truths. Now, uh, Winston Churchill recognised the value of truth, and he also recognised the value of this concept of truth hidden with lies. And he said, in wartime, truth is so precious that she should always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. Of course, as Christadelphians, we also recognise the value of truth, and the Bible and the people in the Bible um, make truth claims, which is why the topic is so pertinent. Now, every year the Oxford English Dictionaries gives us a word of the year, a word that captures the imagination and ethos of the culture for that year. And in November 2016, they named a word. Does anyone know what that word was? 2016? No one? The word was post-truth. Post-truth. Just for fun, does anyone know what the word of the year was for 2021? No? If, if you guessed, you probably would have got it. It's vax. So one def uh, definition of post-truth is the elevation of feelings and preferences over facts and truth, the elevation of feelings and preferences over facts and truth. And we still live in a post-society today, don't we? Why? Because we like to feel good. And seeking truth often leads to discomfort, disagreement and intolerance. We also live in a time of relativism and pluralism where it's espoused that tolerance is the main ethic and that there are no absolute truths. Well, what is an absolute? An absolute is a value or principle which is regarded universally as valid or which may be viewed without relation to other things. Morally speaking, it's an unchanging point of reference whereby you can gauge a certain position of right or wrong. Now, from our perspective, that should already cause you to think about what we believe as an unchanging um, point of reference or an ontic referent. And that, of course, the what is a who. Um, by necessity of his nature, moral commands, values and duties flow from him and find their grounding in him, and that's God. The claim by the relativist is that we can all have our truths, that you believe your truth, I believe my truth, and that to 
believe that only you have the truth is to exclude others. And therefore, that must mean that you are arrogant and intolerant. Well, by way of response to this claim of exclusiveness, I want to propose to you tonight that truth by its very definition is exclusive. By me saying two plus two is four, immediately I exclude other numbers. By saying X is true, then you are excluding not X. Everything cannot be true. If everything is true, then nothing is false. The reality of this is that even those who deny truth's exclusivity, in effect, uh, exclude those who do not deny it. Now, at first reading, that might sound a little tricky, but this is so important, and I think our young people really need to get, in particular, their heads around this concept. Um, if you don't get it at first brush, make sure you write it down. Make sure you, you look at it and understand what that's actually saying. Another way to put this is the truth by definition is exclusive. To deny it is to affirm it at the same time. To deny the truth of that statement is to exclude those that believe the truth of that statement, thus proving the point. You know, a while ago I was in the city and I was completing a course with a, a few other colleagues and it was um, an investigator's course. And they were talking about finding out the truth. And usually, unfortunately, it's in regards to the physical or sexual assault of children. And of course, when thinking about this, you realise there's a potential that one day you could be interviewing some guilty characters, or you could be interviewing someone that has been falsely accused. But the whole time, what's the aim of the exercise? The aim of the exercise is to find out the truth. Isn't it funny how truth doesn't really matter when it suits us, but when you're dealing with a case like that, or when you're the one on trial for do, uh, accused of doing something you didn't do, all of a sudden, truth matters. So I want to show you a little technique now called the roadrunner tactic. And some of you may have heard of this before. This is not mine. I've got this from uh, a website called Cross Examined. Um, but I think it's such a valuable thinking skill, and I think um, a lot of you will get something from this. Now, when I go through this um, thinking skill, some of you might think this is a bit of a party trick or wordplay. I can guarantee it is not. It's very logical. And what it does, it, it, turn, it turns a question on itself or a statement on itself. And it forces the, the person offering the statement to examine their own assumptions within that statement. And Jesus did this all the time, didn't he? People challenged him with statements and questions, and he answered that statement or that question with a question back, forcing them to think about what they were asking. Now, I'm sure you've heard these statements. If not, you will. You've got your truth, I've got my truth. 
there is no truth, or all truth is relative. Now, if someone should ever say to you, there is no truth, you should ask that person a question. What should that question be? Is that true? Um, because if the claim there is no truth is true, it can't be true, but it claims to be. This is known as a self-defeating statement. It doesn't meet its own standard. What about there is no such thing as absolute truth? Are you absolutely sure? It's true for you, but not for me. Is that true for everybody? It's the same when people say, don't judge. Isn't that a judgment? All truth is relative. Is that a relative truth? That statement is an absolute claim that all truth is relative. So it's a self-defeating uh, statement again. What about you can't know anything? How do you know that? Okay, so I think you get the idea. But again, this is a valuable thinking skill. You hear these throwaway lines that people um, give you. And at first brush, you think, oh, yeah, that, that sounds right. But a lot of these statements are actually self-defeating and they're not uh, logically sound. But, you know, when it comes to truth, some people just don't want to hear it, do they? And sadly, I've come to realise this. No matter what you, are, you, you give them in terms of ev evidence and arguments and, and logic, they just don't want to hear it. I love this um, quote by George MacDonald. He's not related to Ronald. Um, he said, To give truth to him who does not love truth is to only give more reason for misinterpretation. I, I love that quote. And straight away I was reminded of 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10 to 11. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they might believe a lie. So, ladies and gentlemen, young people, brethren and sisters, we need to be lovers of truth, don't we? Pascal said that people most invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And this is not being a lover of truth. This is being a lover of self. Now, a, a lot of people, uh, a lot of religious people are accused of this. However, I would argue that this applies to everyone. How convenient it is sometimes to believe there is no God when we want to play God and do whatever we please. Does truth really matter? Well, I think in our brief discussions tonight, we've established that it does. And we move now to the second part of our talk. So we're going to talk now about other worldviews and offer some comparisons of our own. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to give you a short break from me talking.
and give you a chance to fill in some of those verses in your handout. So just turn over the page. You should have a number of verses there. If you know them, just fill them in. If you don't, you can look them up. And in a minute, we'll just run through those on the screen. All right, it's probably not enough time to do all those, but um, you can do some of them. Do some of them if you get bored of me talking, you can fill some in. All right. The first one was 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with... Shout out the answers. Yep, deeds of truth, actions and truth. 1 John 4, verse 6, um, we are from God and whoever, whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the what? Yes, very good. Spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Ephesians 6, verse 14, stand firm then with the what buckled around your waist. Belt of truth. Very good. Um, Exodus 20, verse 16. Then you will know the what, and the what will set you free. Sorry, couldn't hear you. Exodus 20, 16. Yes. Oh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Sorry. I'm on the wrong one. I've skipped ahead. Sorry, very good. Thank you. All right. Um, the next one, Pilate uh, talking to Jesus. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to... testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And what did Pilate retort? What is truth? And he walked away from the very embodiment of truth standing before him. Um, I might just quickly skip ahead. I'll, I'll let you fill those in at the time. All right, we move on now to what is a worldview? And there's a definition uh, in your handout, and you'll see... Uh, this on the screen a little bit later. But the um, definition I've gone with is, it's the lens or lenses through which you look and perceive concrete reality. And that's a great definition. And your worldview has to answer certain questions. So it has to explain the undeniable realities like love. It has to answer the big questions or attempt to answer the big questions like origin, meaning, morality and destiny. Where did I come from? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? How should I live and order my life? The, you know, the values and ethics and what's going to happen to me when I die? And your worldview should provide answers to these questions that one, conform to reality, so they're true, but then bringing those all together, they need to co cohere together to make a complete 
and thus reflect a, a concrete um, explanation of what truth is. So this uh, up here on the PowerPoint, um, you should see that at, at home and it's also in your handout. This is uh, a bit of a, a mind map and I'm going to give you an opportunity now to work through this and come to your own conclusions. I'll give you a minute to work through this yourselves, but I want you to start up here in the left, top left corner. God exists, yes, no, maybe, don't care. Follow the arrows and see where you end up. So what's your worldview? What you should have come up with, I think, for most, if not all of you in this room tonight, is you should have come to the conclusion that you're a Christian theist. Now, the Christian is this, you know, I use that term uh, loosely, broad term, a follower of Christ. Um, but as you can see, there are many worldviews there. And the on the handout, over the page, there's another one. I realise that these next two um, pictures in the handout are terrible. I apologise for that. But they should just at least give you a reminder to go and Google and you can see what some of these you know, worldviews are in a little bit more detail. Um, you can look at those at a later date. Now, before we get into comparisons, I, I want to address an idea, and this is the idea of um, religious pluralism, which is um, the idea that all religions are equally valid. And this stands in contrast with what's called um, Christian particularism, which is the idea that Christ alone is the way to God's salvation. Now, uh, W.L. Craig does some work on this, so I borrowed some of things from him. Um, but firstly, so he breaks it down into two categories, the naive pluralist and the sophisticated religious pluralist. The naive pluralist says this, that all world religions are basically say the same thing. They're all true, they're just different perspectives. Now, although at the most basic and superficial level, and, and this is why it's, they're called the naive pluralist, um, you know, religious systems are, are just systems of faith and they provide a set of ethics and they have some sort of framework, generally some sort of salvation. But anyone who has studied the world's religions just a little bit can see that this is very a very naive view. In fact, a lot of religions make um, claims that completely contradict one another. So one will believe in God, one, one won't believe in God, some believe in heaven, hell, sin, and others don't. So they can't all be true. And we touched, this, uh, we touched on this a little bit when we spoke on the topic of truth. You can hold contrary beliefs but you cannot hold contrary truths. Someone can believe God doesn't exist. Someone can believe God exists, but there's only one truth. So you can hold contrary beliefs, but not contrary truths. Now, the sophisticated um, 
religious pluralist, will say that all world religions are false. They're equally valid, but they're false. They're just cultural expressions. Um, but even if a great many religions were false, and I would agree with that, why couldn't there be one that's true? Let me explain some logical fallacies um, presented in the religious pluralist arguments. And you'll have to put your thinking caps on for this. And um, there's two main fallacies I want to point out. And I'm going to ask you at the end of tonight what those two fallacies are called. So for the young people particularly, they should try and remember these fallacies. Have you ever heard or had it said to you that anyone that believes that Christianity is true and every other religion is wrong is arrogant, therefore implying that Christianity is false? Well, this is known as an argument ad hominem, which means against the person. So that's the first fallacy I want you to remember, argument ad hominem. And this is trying to show someone's view is wrong by attacking their personal character. And this is a logical fallacy because the truth of a view is completely independent of the person who holds it. For example, if someone discovers the cure for AIDS, this person could be really arrogant. They could say, you know, all, all you other scientists are beneath me. But his character has nothing to do with the truth of that cure that he's discovered. This also backfires on the pluralist because the pluralist holds the viewpoint that his view is the only true one and that the religious particularists are wrong. So if holding a viewpoint that your view is the only right one is arrogant and therefore false, that would apply equally to the religious pluralist. There's another fallacy, and this is that all religions are culturally relative. And Dawkins is uh, very famous for going down this line, and he says, you know, if you were born in Pakistan, you'd probably be a Muslim. If you were born in Ireland, you'd probably be a Catholic. And if you look at this particular um, map or grouping of world religions and you look at the data, you know, 100% of religious people in the Vatican City are Roman Catholic, 100%. 98% in Greece are Greek Orthodox. So the claim is that because they are culturally relative, they're not they're not objectively true. Now, although you can see on the surface, this sounds appealing, and you can see the groupings there, but this argument, again, is committing a fallacy, and it's called the genetic fallacy, trying to invalidate a view by showing how a person came to hold it. The truth of a view is independent of how a person came to hold that view. Whether you're born into Christadelphia, whether you came to a seminar and became a Christadelphian, has no bearing on the truth of that worldview. It doesn't matter where you're from or how you came to hold that view. The truth is the truth. This again backfires on the religious pluralist as he or she most likely holds her view of um, religious pluralism because they were born in Western society. So you can see there are a number of fallacies here. So don't let that arg those arguments trick you. Now, I grew up as a, a Christadelphian in a Christadelphian family. My parents 
came to the truth. But despite knowing about the genetic fallacy, that it wasn't a very good argument, um, I didn't want to be accused of this, that I only believed a thing because my, that's what my parents taught me. And certainly my parents said to me, they said, I don't want you to get baptised because, you know, we're Christadelphians. I want you to look into it, search out the truth, and be baptised if you truly believe that it is the truth. So that's what I did. I looked into other views with an open mind. And as Daniel 5, verse 27 says, Meeny, meeny, tikal you fasten, they were found wanting. Now, did I look into every single religion to the depth that I studied became a Christadelphian? No, I didn't. And you'll see why. Here are some of the religions of the world. This is called a um, religion tree. You can look it up. Um, it's not very good on, in your handout, but um, online you can zoom in and you can see the branches and different connections to the world religions. Now, uh, the big grouping on the right is Christianity. 2.3 billion Christians, 33% of the world's religion, the largest monotheistic religion. There are three um, main monotheistic religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Uh, Christianity is the largest. Islam is the second largest, 1.9 billion Islamists. Uh, Muslims. The third is Hinduism, 1.16 billion. And um, Judaism is not actually that big. It's monotheistic. There's only 14.7 million. I think there's just over 6 million in Israel and 5 million in America and a, a few others around the place. But what we can do is that we can generally group these religions into categories. So you have the monotheistic religions, you have the pantheistic religions, the vernacular, the regional, and then you have worldviews such as um, atheism, agnosticism, deism, naturalism, materialism. Now, as I said, you can't look at all of these. India has over 330 million deities in the pantheon of Hinduism, new ones being churned out every day. Just a quick calculation, you would have to look at about 15,000 of these per day since you were 10 until you die to, to look at all of these deities. So what we, what we do is we group these together and we can contrast and then obviously we define it further and we've arrived at Christadelphian, Christadelphians. Now, one thing I want to say before I move forward is offer a, a little caveat, and that's that this is not meant to be a criticism of other people's worldviews. Um, it's more by way of comparison. This is my view of demonstrating how I believe that the Christian faith stands out in um, comparison to other religions and worldviews of the world. So I, I hope you'll find this interesting. There's obviously, tonight's not about offering proof and evidence of um, the truth. We can do that another time. But 
hopefully you'll find this really interesting that offering some of these comparisons. So with regard to relationships, and in particular relationships, a relationship with God, this is something that each of us instinctively feel and crave, to have relationship. And I believe that um, our worldview has it all over the other systems of the world. Buddha, for example, never talks about having a personal relationship with him or with God. Uh, Buddhism is actually an atheistic religion. You will never hear of Allah in Islam as a personal God relating to you. In Islam, the distance between God and humanity is so vast that the I never comes close to the him in God. Hinduism never talks of a loving God in Hinduism. Of course, atheism and other similar worldviews has no God. Dawkins is famous for his quote, there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind and pitiless indifference. A pretty bleak outlook if you ask me. Christianity, however, is unique in this respect because it offers a personal God who wants to have a relationship with us, for us to share in his glory and his plan and purpose, who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. John 3, verse 16. God, uh, God offers us communion with him and his son. Now, atheistic religions like Buddhism and pantheistic religions like Hinduism, although they deny a personal absolute God, they realise the value of this, so they smuggle in ways of worship where a personal being is addressed. In, a, in the Christian message, the Lord is nigh unto them who are of a broken heart and saveth such as of a contrite spirit. Draw near to God and he will draw near unto you. The next contrast we want to make is a life of purity. Jesus has always been regarded as being the purest that has ever lived. On numerous occasions, his antagonists were challenged to bring some accusation against him, but they were never able to besmirch his pristine life. He challenged his adversaries to lay a charge of sin at his feet. By contrast, no other individual has ever elicited such accolades. By their own admission, this includes Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, their lives and their struggles are recorded within their own scriptures. I could give many examples of this, but we're not gonna go into that, that list tonight. Of course, wherever we turn, humanity and its secular leaders, not alone, but they are all stained with the blood of past sins and with examples of debauched and blemished lifestyles. The teacher's relation to their teachings. I think this one's very interesting. Um, and I borrowed this from one commentator and he puts it like this. At the heart of every religion is a leading exponent. As the exposition is studied, something very significant emerges there comes a bifurcation or a distinction between the person and the teaching. Muhammad to the Quran, Buddha to the Noble Path, Krishna to his philosophizing, Zoroaster to his ethics. 
whatever we may make of their claims, one thing is inescapable. They are teachers who point to their teaching or show some particular way. It is not the Zoroaster to whom you turn, it is the Zoroaster to whom you listen. It is not Buddha who delivers you, it is the noble truths that instruct you. It is not Muhammad that transforms you, it's the Quran that woos you. So to contrast this, we look at Jesus. Jesus did not only teach or expound his message, he was identical to his message. In him, says the scriptures, dwells, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He did not just pro proclaim the truth. He said, I am the truth. He did not just open the way. He said, I am the way. He did not just open up new vistas. He said, I am the door. In him is not just the offer of bread. He is the bread. He was the word made flesh. So as a, a Christian, if we are to follow the path to understanding, we must lay hold on Jesus' assertions, the very embodiment of truth. The simple versus the complex. If you've ever, ever studied Hinduism, you will find out it is not easy at all to define or fit into a simple categorization. It incorporates literally hundreds of sacred texts. It has no single founder. It worships countless gods from village deities to divine beings. Attempts to define Hinduism have defeated most observers. Um, I can quote many things that contradict each other within Hinduism. Buddhism, for example, is a, I think it's a religion of 506 million and it's growing quite fast. And it's usually defined as a, sim a simplistic religion of compassion and ethics. Nothing can be more from the truth. The, Buddhism is probably one of the most complex systems there is. While it starts off with the Four Noble Truths of suffering and its cessation, it then moves to the Eightfold Path of how to end suffering. And as one enters the Eightfold Path, there emerges literally hundreds upon hundreds of other rules to deal with contingencies. Now, of course, we as humans, we have the tendency to complicate things, don't we? We like to define things more and more and we generally add rules upon rules. But I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he brought together and summarised so beautifully so much with two of the greatest commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and to love your neighbour as thyself. On these, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. By contrast to other world views and religions, Jesus, in a very simple way, drew the real need of his drew to the real need of his audience. We are not merely in need of a um, superior ethical system. We are in need, at core, to be tr to have a transformed heart and a transformed mind that seeks to do the will of God. Last comparison: the method of 
salvation. So with Buddhism, um, the chief problem in life is actually suffering. And we would say that suffering is a result of the chief problem. This is caused by the desire for material things and the aim of Buddhism is to cease all desires. There's this accretion of karma. You go through these rebirths and things like that until you reach this state of nirvana where all desires cease. Hinduism is also cyclical. There's reincarnations. Only your identity is kept. The world is an illusion. They also believe in karma. And your past deeds are responsible for your present circumstances. And in Hinduism, salvation is when eventually you are absorbed into this cosmic consciousness of Brahman. Islam, it's all about the will of Allah. No Muslim can be sure they'll enter um, heaven except for the possibility of martyrdom. But in the end, their good deeds must outweigh their bad deeds. This is where, again, I believe the Christian worldview stands out in stark contrast to these other worldviews. It is not simply a framework of ethics and rules in which we can earn our way into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot will yourself into the kingdom of heaven. It's not by works. It's only by the grace of God. Well, as I said, um, we weren't going into proofs tonight. We can do that at another time. That wasn't our scope. But I hope you found these comparisons somewhat thought-provoking. And I've encouraged you to look at these things more fuller so you have a complete view, so you're not, um, you know, there's no curveballs thrown at you. You know what's there and you believe uh, more fully the truth. Of course, we're not to be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, but we are told to test the things we believe and always be ready with an answer. Okay, so let's summarise what we talked about tonight. We talked about the definition of truth and we determined that truth matters. We talked about um, absolute truths versus the false that all truth is relative, that unchanging point of reference whereby we can gauge a certain position of right and wrong. Of course, as Christadelphians, we know that to be God. And we learnt that the truth, by its very definition, is exclusive. We looked at the roadrunner tactic. Remember, if someone says to you, there is no truth, is that a true statement? We learnt that we need to be lovers of truth and that we need to seek truth. We looked at what it means to have a worldview and the various logical fallacies committed by the pluralists. What were the two fallacies? Can anyone remember? Yep. Argument ad hominem. Genetic fallacy. Very good. And we looked at the religion tree, how we could group certain worldviews to fast-track our search for the truth. And lastly, we made some brief comparisons, uh, didn't we? And we highlighted how Christianity, uh, but more specifically, us as Christadelphians, um, how our belief stands out in contrast to other worldviews.
Well, it seems clear to me that um, many of us seek and we sense all over the world that there is something transcendent beyond ourselves. The Bible says that God put eternity in the heart of man, a sense of divinity that we might seek him out and ask these questions. But human nature being what it is, we tend to be intellectually lazy and we accept what makes us feel good and what suits us, often what's familiar to us. So I want to encourage everyone here tonight and who's looking on to seek out truth, to be lovers of truth, because truth matters. So keep reading, keep learning, keep studying the scriptures, keep praying and asking for answers. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Well, I hope you enjoyed tonight, or at least I've given you lots of interesting things to talk about and discuss on your way home. Thanks for your attention. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.